Good morning and welcome to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. I'm Nathan and joining me today is Susie. Hello. And Colin. Yeah, g'day. Back on deck. And Craig. Hello. How are you going? We have had some email and we always like getting email because it makes us feel special. Um, especially when the email is... Hi, the Cusp team. Love the podcast. Good to see some Kiwis putting such a high-quality podcast out there. You guys are amongst the best I've listened to. Uh, He does mention, however, that it could be a Kiwi bias of some sort. Um, But we'll accept that nonetheless. And that's from The Void. Thank you, The Void. And Skeptic Kiwi um, posted a message up on the forums. Um... I think the discussion that was going on there was about the name, the cusp, and he thinks the name is fine because it can mean a point between two different situations or states when a personal thing is poised between the two or just about to move from one to the other, which he thinks is very appropriate, or she, could be a girl, I don't know. Skeptic Kiwi. Uh, Good work on getting a podcast up and running, can't believe I found it only now. Uh, work on getting more exposure which of course we are trying to do everybody should be working on recommending us to all of your friends sending the links around to everybody like us on facebook as well because um there's only about 50 people on our facebook group and i do we do a few um we do some updates on facebook from time to time so that's the email feedback we've had um we did get another message from somebody else and it was about one of the topics we're going to talk about later but he did also mention that he wanted to have a whinge at us about the audio quality of the podcast. And um, he's quite right. And I'd like to take this opportunity to apologise to everybody because it has been quite shocking of late. Um, we've determined today that it's actually something physically wrong with my laptop that's making a hum noise in the background. Um, so hopefully this week's will be a lot better. We're recording it on Craig's laptop instead. And moving on to the notice board. And something that he didn't actually specifically ask us to mention it, did he? But um, No. We're going to, to publicise this because he's doing an interesting thing. Gold has put together a bullshit map for New Zealand. Now if you want to know a bit of the background about that, we'll put a link on the um, information as usual. But if you do a search for bullshit map, um, or if you have the balls, I think is a um, should get you the result of, of seeing this guy's blog. And basically what he decided to do, just for fun, was uh, get a Google so a guy map. In... He's in Vancouver. 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 And he decided to put together a Google map showing all of the bullshit that was available in Vancouver. And he just called it the bullshit map. He didn't share the link with anybody, he just sent it to a few of his friends. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, he started getting emails from people saying, why is my business on your bullshit map? How dare you? Blah, blah, blah. And so he posted it up on his blog, and Gold found it. And Gold said, that's a brilliant idea. So he set up the same thing for New Zealand. Um, And again, we'll put links up. I don't know how you search for this because I don't think it's something that you can just Google and find. But if you have the link, you can click on it and it will show you little blue tags showing all of the bullshit. Um, he's specifically called his the Bullshit Health and Wellness map. So he's talking, he's got uh, Reiki, Reiki? Reiki, Reiki, Reiki. 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 Chiropractors yep. and acupuncture and so on and so forth. 
um, and there's a few of us working on it. If anyone's interested in helping out with that, ping me an email and I'll pass your details on to Goal. I'm gonna. I want to see what it looks like because I reckon there's, there's going to be a very large, you know, um, blob of pins. Yes. Well, I mean, I've been working on it in my spare time, and you can imagine how much of that I have. Um, but I have added maybe 50 odd businesses to it so far. But the point of the map really is it's not going to work until they've all been added. Um, so all of the acupuncturists, all of the chiropractics, and then you can sort of see... We should write to the organisations and ask them to add them. Yeah. Okay, so moving on, we have some news items. Susie, tell us why some numbers have a nice ring. So this is a paper that's... Um, I can't actually read the paper because it hasn't appeared. It's appeared as a, um, a pre-publication thing and it's been picked up. Um, it's... It's in Psychological Science, a journal of the Association for Psychological Science, um, by a German uh, researcher who's been looking at, um, at the relationship between a number and and the and the word that it spells out on you know when you dial a when you dial a number. So um, the first study that they did looked at seemingly random numbers and then got people to kind of rate them. So um, they, so they give an example of two numbers, uh, 373863 and 7245346, which people rated as equally pleasant. But when a second group were asked to dial the numbers, they then preferred the 373863, which, um, which when you looked at the, the letters that it, um, it, it, it meant friend in German, whereas the other one meant slime. The Sorry. German word for friend. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Craig's doing it now on his phone just to check. <laughs> what was interesting, though, was that um, the, there were no letters on the keypad, so so they weren't so the people weren't um, aware of the thing. Yeah. Wow. Um, so yeah, that basically people will have this kind of preference, even and it's a subconscious thing. So this is related to um, to texting. And so the fact that people are texting, so you are doing the numbers yeah. and the letters, you know you know what they are now, um, that people have really got that information. People who text a lot have got that information yeah. without really even realising it, and so they can they see this association, which I thought was quite cool. The, what she's saying, I think it's a lady, maybe it's not, what they are saying um, is that this could be used by advertisers. So, for instance... Um, the companies that use their uh, the, a, a company-related word in their telephone number, they they are preferred by people, it seems, um, than one who doesn't. So you know, your dial nine nine nine, they give the um, corpse for a mortician, that kind of thing. People prefer that to something else. But she say you could go even further. You could get a company to use a word that kind of made people feel good, and they wouldn't even realise it. So the example that they give is um, of a betting company who's who's maybe their number said successful, and so you would be more likely to ring them and use them than you would another company. I thought that was quite cool. Anyway, it'd be nice to actually read the paper, but it's one of these things that is basically a preprint, and um, we can't get hold of it. So what you're saying is the people that did this research went straight to the media with their results. <laughs> Or, or the journal did, but either one. Yeah, and it, it is there. It's 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 online before print, and um, I don't have a subscription to it, so I can't I can't access it, unfortunately. 
which is really annoying. But that's one of the things about the fact that, you know, all these things are behind paywalls and it's... I'd be yeah. interested to see whether it actually does scale up like that to the real-world applications, mm. whether people would actually be more likely to ring that betting company than another yeah. betting company. Yeah. Mm. Or they'll use the technique of the yellow pages where you want your AAA moving company. <laughs> <laughs> yes, AA Auckland moving. So the next article is a bad taste in the mouth. Um, so I would say this is the uh, the press releases were released by the journal because it's the same journal again a preprint before release. Um, another another article called a bad taste in the mouth. Gustatory disgust influences moral judgment. That's a way so better title. That is. Should have called so, it that. So some researchers in Brooklyn, the City University of New York, have found that taste. They asked 57 volunteers to rate how morally questionable a set of scenarios were on a scale of 1 to 100. This included a man eating his already dead dog and second cousins engaging in conceptual sex. The, um, the participants also indicated their political orientation. We'll come to that in a minute. Um, before and halfway through the exercise, they were given either a bitter drink, a sweet juice or water. And interestingly... Those that drank bitter drinks were much harsher in their judgments than those who drank water. Okay. So if you drank something bitter, you basically became harsher. So what you're saying is skeptics probably shouldn't be drinking coffee. <laughs> Intriguingly, political, politically conservative individuals were more strongly affected by bitter tastes than liberals. Looking uh, at Nathan. Right. What? Why are you looking at me? As a politically conservative person, am I? Um, <laughs> is he? Well, I know. I have no idea. I have no idea about politics whatsoever. Conservatives are the ones that are all Christians, right? Well, no. no. It's really hard to categorise. Yes. Anyway, although the mechanisms linking taste and behaviour are not yet clear, the authors asked whether jurors should avoid bitter tastes and whether food preferences play a role in shaping political ideals. So the defence should be handing out lollies yes. <laughs> to yeah, the jury. Well, those, those massive great big lollipops. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. And again, it'd be really nice to see the paper, um, but it's not available. So we'll all be avoiding coffee just for the rest of this podcast at least because we have some interesting things to talk about later. Have a gingerbread um, man. <laughs> Colin, do you want to tell us about the new cancer cure that we've discovered? Uh, the new cancer cure, it's... Uh, a device called the Novalis TX and what it is is uh, x-ray uh, 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 x-ray unit that is mobile three-dimensionally um, they've hooked up a couple of really smart computers to it as well that can tell when you're breathing as, as you're breathing if, if the tumor is moved by your breathing the x-ray machine will turn the rays off when it moves out of range and will switch them back on again when it comes back in range. Wow. So you're not, your, your tissues around the cancer are not unnecessarily being dosed with radiation. Um, so the, the amount that you're being dosed with is considerably less than usual and it's also a lot more accurate than usual. And focused on a... Yeah, focused and it, because it's, move, it's movable on all three axes, you can get a heck of a lot more accurate than you could before and so it's it's allowing you know to cure cancer in uh 15 minutes they're able to fry it 
so treat cancer in 15 minutes. So yeah, it's kind of, it's it's neat. They can move it to wherever they want to get the best uh, penetration, um, the least amount of damage to other tissues. Uh, instead of uh, previous cumbersome machines bolted to the floor um, and you had a limited range of movement over top of your body, now they can get around, um, uh, can sort of aim from a direction further to your feet or back by your head uh, on that axis as well, rather than just from straight above you. So presumably so you can get the minimal amount of distance Correct. to the actual tumour. To the actual yeah. tumour, okay. which is causing less damage as well. There's a very nice comment on the, on the website um, from somebody called John who says that it's great, but he questions whether it can be a 15-minute treatment. So he's saying one must include setup and imaging in addition to the treatment. Um, he reckons it end up being about three hours over the course of a week. Fair enough. And anyway. Uh, what's worth mentioning as well is that unlike most of the cancer cures that we normally talk about, this one actually appears to be a real thing. Yeah. Um, and it was in New Scientist? New Scientist, yeah. It's, it's a technology that we currently have. It's just been improved on, it looks like, uh, quite significantly. A lot more mobile. And, uh, yeah, it looks like it's a lot easier to use. Good thing. For anyone that hasn't been paying attention, there has been a large earthquake recently in Christchurch. So there's a number of news articles that have come out of that. Uh, one in particular some of us are going to talk about in a minute. But um, this next article is about measles and two contradictory articles, or seemingly contradictory. Well, so the first is that there have been some cases of measles in Christchurch this month. So um, as of um, about a week ago, it was three cases. The first had uh, was infected after a per contact with a person who came from Sydney who had um, measles. Um, but the other one seemed to be... Um, they've been contacts basically here. Two of the people were immunised with the MMR and one had only had one of the MMR vaccinations, which is basically you need more than that. Um, and what's basically going on is you've got these camps of everyone all camping together. Well, it's certainly, it's a very, very infectious uh, virus. So if you've got people, if you've got somebody infected with measles and, and shedding it, then you're going to, you're going to, you know, it's going to spread. What's interesting is that... Um, so there's been these cases in Christchurch, but there's actually, over the, over the course of January, February, there's been quite a few cases in Auckland and around the country. So in uh, January, I think, an Emirates flight came from Brisbane, which had uh, some people with measles on it, or had a person with measles on it. Um, and then they got, I think it was something like nine people who were on that flight got measles. And then there's been some cases of measles after that. There were people not on that flight. So, so, there, so there was somebody with measles on the flight from, from um, Brisbane. They've infected some people. Um, they've now infected some other people. And we've got something like 20 cases, I think, 15 in Auckland, some others in, in Wellington and stuff. Um, this has led to the, an article in the New Zealand Herald, which was basically that children are being asked to stay away from school for two weeks if they've got any of the sort of signs of measles and if they haven't been vaccinated. So if it's likely they've got measles, they have to stay away from school for two weeks. What was really interesting on the New Zealand Herald website is they had a poll saying, should immunisation for measles be compulsory? And it's had nearly 13,000 votes. And 77% of people think it should be compulsory. That's very interesting. Now, how interesting is that? Because this is not generally how people are. Anyway, 
It's kind of at the same time as this, um, there's sort of a good news story, I guess, in that um, the health minister, Tony uh, Ryle, has told Parliament that the number of children fully immunised by their second birthday has risen from 73% in 2007 to just over 88%. So this is, this wow. is a pretty, yeah, pretty significant... Yeah. But it still falls below herd immunity because herd immunity is something like 95%. Oh, 95%, yeah. So we're doing really well and, and a lot of money has been thrown into this, but we're not there yet. They're very excited that um, the uh, the numbers of Maori and Pacific Islanders, uh, Pacific Island children immunised at two is, is really done, is growing quite high. Um, so the Pacific Island children are 91%, so they're doing even better. So it suggests that it's actually the, as expected, it's the white middle class Ponsonbyites who aren't <laughs> vaccinating their children because, of course, you know, why would they? That's very racist. It's very true. I wasn't going to talk about this, but there have been some studies uh, that have shown, you know, that, that the, you know, um, who are the people more likely to use complementary medicine, who are the people more likely to not vaccinate, and they are, they are female, they are high owners, they are middle class, you know, they are... I wonder whether the um, the, the, the lower than ideal percentage is because of apathy or because of anti-vaccination attitudes. I think it will, uh, this is maybe a racist thing to say, I think it will be different in different socioeconomic groups. I think it's probably apathy in some and I think it's active, active in these opposition in these kind of white um, middle class Ponsonbyites. I think that's true. I can, I can say that as a Ponsonbyite. It's not racist if you talk about your own class, class, is it? (laughs) (laughs) The scary thing is with the measles coming in is that it's more dangerous than the swine flu turned out to be because your side effects from catching the disease up to death at worst, uh, brain damage just behind that. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's not like chicken pox just called measles it's actually really serious something worth mentioning though of course is that part of the reason that the swine flu didn't seem to be terribly pandemic is because it was declared a pandemic and steps were taken Mm, so it's very well to be skeptical a lot of people are being skeptical about things like the bird flu and the swine flu i certainly was with the bird flu it's just the flu whatever but they managed to hit it off at the pass, so it could have been a lot worse than it was. Yeah. But, yeah, right, you're right. Um, measles is very, very serious and very serious side effects. And also when these viruses come, jump out, jump species, they can jump and be more virulent, and then they can jump and be less virulent. And we've been quite lucky that most of the times they've jumped, they haven't been as bad in humans. And, you know, they could, it could easily go the other way, and they could become pretty, pretty nasty stuff. And so I think it's a combination of luck and a combination of, you know, being being prepared and, you know, having the vaccines and using them and, and stuff like that, definitely. Okay, and the last news news item is Craig with Beddington something. The, the UK government chief scientific advisor, John Beddington, calling for more intolerance. <laughs> intolerance towards pseudoscience. He's comparing... Um, pseudoscience to to racism and homophobia in that um, in general we aren't tolerant of racism or, or homophobic attitudes and and that we should be similarly intolerant to 
health and giving pseudoscience a pass. Uh, there are enough difficult and important problems out there without having to deal with what is politically or morally or religiously motivated nonsense. So he, he's calling for scientists not to, to uh, give a free pass to um, people um, promoting pseudoscience based upon the fact that it's um, that they have um, political or, or moral motives. And I think this is a good thing, but I guess to the general public, it can look, it can look close-minded that um, here we've got this chief advisor telling telling scientists not to be tolerant of, of views that are non-scientific. I think what, uh, hopefully what, I, what I, he's saying is actually, you know, be more vocal. Yeah. Be more vocal about, you know, this stuff in, in you know intolerance don't start shouting at people but you know make it known that they've you know they're using don't give people a free ride if they're using bad science yep i would i would speak up on on, on behalf of the scientists so that uh not that i am a scientist but and in, in, in my own uh dealings with other people that have uh very different views uh, you know they have a different view and you know it's not right but you really don't have enough up your sleeve to counteract their not rightedness um, where they, they come at you with so many irrelevant and uh, far out things that for a start you're sitting there thinking what did they just say where and do, then I, start? Where do <laughs> I start and some of the stuff you're, you just can't reply to and is seen by uh, the other party as a tacit win because you don't have anything to reply with. And um, you just say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. And then um, uh, to comment on something that isn't science, uh, I could see it as a, as a waste of time. But as you say, it needs to be done because you cannot give them a free pass. It's a good point, actually, because something you learn over and over and over again is that scientists aren't necessarily very good at debunking non-science or pseudoscience. Yeah. And that's where it takes a section of the community that we like to call the sceptics, people whose job is specifically to say, that's wrong and here's why. People who have done the research who know the arguments that are about to come yeah. up who have got the material to refute it at hand. The vocal go-between. <laughs> Indeed. I heard it, I was going to say I heard a good analogy the other day. I actually came up with this myself. It must be a good analogy then. <laughs> I was thinking about a, a particular person. Um, who shall remain nameless. Just for now, remain nameless. <laughs> <Next>? yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a comment someone made along the lines of, what have I ever done to the sceptics? Why won't they leave me alone? And I thought, well, isn't that a bit like Fisher and Paykel saying, why do I have to prove that my washing machines work to Consumer Magazine? What have, what have I ever done to Consumer Magazine? Why doesn't Consumer Magazine just leave me alone? And that's basically what sceptics are, is they're like a Consumer Magazine or a Consumer Advocate saying, you know, we're going to investigate it and we're going to find out um, if there's something to it or if there's something not. It's all a pack of lies. If it's rubbish or bollocks. And speaking of bollocks, <laughs> Craig, I'm going to turn the podcast over to you for a little while. That's a segue from Nam. Well, there is this New Zealand guy by the name of Ken Ring. And if you don't know about Ken Ring, he has a website called 
predictweather.com and his essentially his business is selling weather almanacs. So every year he comes out with a, a book that supposedly is able to predict uh, the weather a year ahead and he advertises on his website uh, that if you are having um, a specific event such as a wedding or a concert or something then you can pay for his prediction although in fact he doesn't call it a prediction it's an opinion on what the weather is going to be like on that day now this is just of course, you can't tell me that on October 25th this year that the weather is going to be fine in uh, wherever you happen to be. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it, it, it's implausible. But the way he does this is by uh, using the moon for his prediction. So essentially he's, he's known as uh, the moon man. Um, and he came into the news recently, of course, because he claimed to have predicted the deadly earthquake in Christchurch on February the 22nd. Both of them. He claimed originally to have predicted the first one. In fact, if you if you look at what he's predicted, um, he's actually predicted earthquakes or whatever um, on virtually every day of the month. Um, so, t- to give you a bit of history, I'm sure most people know, but there was the... Um, first major earthquake in Christchurch um, back on the 4th of September last year, so that was magnitude 7.1, and then of course on the 22nd of February there was the 6.3 earthquake that uh, resulted in many people dying, and the current death toll is 166 people. It's likely to rise further as more people, more bodies are pulled out of the rubble. Um, anyway, he on February the 14th, on Valentine's Day, he sent out a tweet saying that there was likely to be um, an earthquake in Christchurch, a fairly major one, between the 15th and 25th of February. So obviously that's um, uh, 11 days, so that gives quite a lot of quite a lot of latitude. Um, and of course he's, he's fitting this after the event. Um, so t- to date there's been something like 4,000 earthquakes in Christchurch as aftershocks resulting from the original one and so he's essentially predicting um, earthquakes is a pretty good bet that something is going to happen. Although at one stage he did actually say it was unlikely that there would be another big earthquake. Yeah he did, he's, he's, he's very slippery, he uh, changes the story. Also didn't he say that no 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 not those earthquakes I mean serious earthquakes but never qualified serious. He kept moving the goalposts, uh, yeah, quite considerably. Yeah, yeah. Let's just say you wouldn't want to play football with Ken Ring. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he was interviewed by um, John Campbell on the Campbell Live show. Um, and and John Campbell, actually, I think, from a sceptical perspective, actually did a good job. He didn't take any bullshit from from Ken Ring, he criticised him and made some pretty good sceptical points. The thing that John Campbell did wrong was that he didn't let Ken Ring talk. Well, and yeah. he was also very emotional. He was very... He was he was, he was was rude, he was angry. Yeah. It kind of seemed clear that he didn't want Ken Ring on at all, almost like he didn't want to give him any air. But for whatever reasons, whether it was people asking or the producers decided to put him on, he was on. And I think the fact that he was in Christchurch amongst the rubble... Yeah. And Ken Ring was sat in a studio in Auckland, 
very calm. It was just, it was awful. The two, you know, it was just complete opposites. And you can see why people have kind of gone, oh my God, you know, and John Campbell is awful. And Ken Ring, look at this man, he was calm and he was, you know, he was just such a nice guy. Really worried about the people of Christchurch, really worried about what's going to come next in March. Yeah, so Ken has predicted that there's going to be another one on the 20th of March. So he's given a specific date. Um, And yeah, so the the interview with John Campbell, I think most people disliked it because John Campbell came across as being rude and I guess people don't like to see somebody treated that way, even though probably as sceptics we think that actually John did the right thing. He said all the right things, and and Ken Ring is a scumbag and deserved to be treated what like that. What John didn't do was allow Ken Ring to shoot himself in the foot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would, yeah. That that would have been better because he would have come off looking. He wouldn't have come off looking like the. But body I'm not. That he I'm did. not sure whether he would have, would have done that anyway because he he's been on radio. He's been he's been in the media a lot. He he comes across well in the media, and I think he probably would have been guarded in what he said, and he would have had a um, he, he would have had a comeback from it. So you don't think he would have accused John Campbell of being a Nazi, no, or um, so. this is as bad as if you but were hunting my family down and killing us? <laughs> there were some pretty funny things on there, like he was asking about um, what quali- well, John Campbell asked him what qualifications he had uh, to be doing this, and then um, Ken Ring came back with well, what qualifications has the captain of the rugby team got for playing rugby? What university qualifications has he got? And, of course, completely irrelevant. And I'm sure it's possible that he could have some sort of qualification, isn't it? Isn't people get qualifications in... He does, he's got his pilot's licence. ...in sports, health, medicine, that sort of thing? Sports, fitness? Well, I, see, I guess from the sceptical perspective is that he's presented evidence that he can play the game and win the game, whereas, um, given Ken Ring's track record, uh, although he would dispute it, um, he actually doesn't... He is not able to predict the weather or earthquakes. Um, and there's, there's various... Um, pretty good websites um, that have uh, been criticising Ken Ring and, and having a dialogue with Ken Ring. Uh, there is a website run by a New Zealander called sillybeliefs.com, um, so you can go there and have a look, sillybeliefs.com slash ring.html. Uh, and so that's a pretty good analysis of um, Ken Ring's weather predictions, and there's a huge comment thread on there where Ken himself has... Uh, responded and gets if Ken does nothing not not verbose <laughs> and yeah he digs himself into a pretty deep hole so if you've got a couple of days to spend you could um, read the, read the whole thread um, and on on side blogs there is um, a guy by the name of David Winter who um, wrote a post called Ken Ring can't predict the weather where he actually analysed um, the results, well, the, the, the actual the actual weather that happened, compared them to Ken Ring's predictions, and came out looking pretty bad. And recently, he's written a post saying Ken Ring can't predict earthquakes either, where he gives a pretty good um, <laughs> he gives a pretty good takedown of of Ken Ring's predictions and how uh, how he's essentially predicting an earthquake on every single day of the month, and he happens to have gotten lucky in, in one of his predictions and so he's now proclaiming that as um, as a winner. So um, there really is no science behind this. There's, there's um, no, no scientists agree with 
Ken Ring's um, <laughs> theories, of course. Uh, I mean, there's a, a ti- there's a tiny there's a tiny amount of science behind it in that the the distance from the moon to the Earth does vary um, slightly by about forty thousand kilometers. The actual cycle that he uses that's a real thing. Yes. Eighteen-year yes. cycle. Yes. But there's no real there's no real way that the moon's distance to the Earth can have any significant effect on causing earthquakes. Um, and one, a, point, point, a point that was made was that it comes down to movement of tectonic plates, and perhaps um, if there's been a build-up of stress on a tectonic plate over hundreds of years, then the Earth being closer to the moon at a particular point might be the straw that broke the camel's back that caused an earthquake. But there's no way that that could be used as a prediction in advance to, to be able to say that this is when this is going to happen. And likewise, the moon probably does influence the weather. Yes. But in such a tiny, 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 tiny fashion that there's no way that you could actually use it to predict, As a predictor. anything. No, yeah. no. No, so really, um, yeah, he's a, he's a, a charlatan and um, out for self-promotion. Which brings us to <laughs> which brings us to Deb Weber. So so Deb Weber is is the um, sensing mur- one of the sensing murder psychics, and she now claims that she predicted the Christchurch earthquake, um, and she does have some evidence for this, in that um, apparently she was giving a reading to a woman in Melbourne. And one of the things, completely irrelevant to the, to the woman in Melbourne, because the woman in Melbourne doesn't actually know anybody in New Zealand, but she said, I'm so worried about New Zealand, there'll be a massive earthquake coming soon and it'll split the country in two. What? Now, she, she made this, she, she said this on February 19th in Melbourne, and February 22nd we had the earthquake. But did it split the country in two? Well, to be fair, there's, there's this whole debate going on about Ken Ring. A right. lot of people are on Ken Ring's side saying, oh, poor guy, how being yelled at by John Campbell. So, in a sense, the country could be said to have been split in two. Okay. Right. You yeah, see I how I justified that? Yeah. And the other thing that she is claiming, which she doesn't actually have evidence of, is that she claims to have known about the Christchurch earthquake for at least a year. But she didn't tell But she didn't tell anybody about it. No. So, Psychics um, are evil people. They oh, are. but hang on, hang on. She is going public with her warning of further devastation, yes. but she's not sure if it's another earthquake on its way or if it's just the current situation. Oh. She's just making stuff up that sounds likely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't we love her? Yeah. Um, no, we don't. <laughs> I don't like any of them. No, so she's opportunistic. Oh, and apparently she's got a tour of New Zealand coming up. Oh! oh coincidence? Wow. No, I think not. You're not saying that she's she's taking advantage of this horrendous natural disaster for the purposes of self-promotion, are you? Surely not, no. Well, they wouldn't do that, would they? She and Ken Ring. Yeah. Anyway, so there's plenty of, plenty of good stuff online if you want to read about that. And speaking of side blogs, which is quite good, um, Susie. Yeah, so uh, one of the side blogs bloggers, Alison Campbell, um, has... Uh, come to the attention of the Discovery Institute. The Discovery Institute is... Oh, you tell us all about the Discovery Institute. You're oh, a... I don't know if I'm an expert. They are one of the think tanks that are promoting, and I'm using inverted commas here for those who can't see, <laughs> researching 
intelligent design. So um, Alison is a, um, a lecturer at the University of Waikato and she um, she teaches biological sciences and um, she and um, some ID, um, what would you call them, an ID? Nut job? Yeah. Proponent? So, proponent. Um, have been having a bit of an argument on her, um, on her blog um, about ID and stuff. I think it was actually, it sort of started with one of my blogs where I kind of said something about yeah, ID and creationism. No, 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 no. And then this, she wrote something about, because I said, oh, yeah, ID creationism, not really knowing the difference between them. And so she wrote a nice blog post about them because somebody complained on my post that they that they were two very different things. And I don't know nothing. I'm one of these bar. So she did a really nice post. They, they say that ID is creationist and dressed up in a cheap tuxedo or something. Yes. So she, she then wrote this nice blog and um, got into this discussion with somebody who um, clearly didn't agree with her. And now, basically, the this conversation and blog post has been found by the Discovery Institute. And they're, um, they're, they're really funny because it was something like, um, oh, I can't remember the title of it now. She doesn't seem to have posted a thing to it. Um, it was something like, why students taking Alison's um, class shouldn't mention they believe in God or something, you know. It was, you know, because what she'd said was, well, if they, if they hand in a lecture or hand in a, an essay where they talk about, you know, ID, then I'm going to mark them down because that wasn't what, you know, that's not what they haven't shown any kind of, you know, science in their lecture and stuff. And so it's kind of funny. But what's great about this is that both this and all the Ken Ring stuff that's been on um, Cyblogs and the fact that some of these articles have been syndicated in the New Zealand Herald and other places means that Cyblogs is now the top-ranking um, New Zealand blogging site, which is pretty cool, and it's had something like 9,000 9, hits a day or something from... Um, from, from outraged ID proposals yeah. in the States. <laughs> so it'd be interesting to see if, if they are all outraged people or if they're just people who've come via the... Um, you know, seeing the articles in the New Zealand Herald and whether they're going to be people who stick with it and kind of have some interest in science or whether it's all people who are now we're just going to be completely flamed by everybody every time we write something. Um, but yeah. Isn't the main difference creationism, uh, creation was by God, but intelligent design includes the possibility of aliens? Not directly, but yes, effectively the creationists say it must be Genesis, it must be God. Intelligent designists are saying there's some sort of intelligent designer. They all think it's God, but they try not to say so in public. The um, intelligent design people typically come in it from the perspective of irreducible complexity, and that there are components in the in biology that could not have come about through evolution. Oh, and the other thing is some of them will accept millions of years of geological history. Yes. Uh, that doesn't have to be done in seven days. Anyway, moving on to something less ridiculous. No? Yes. No, yes, something slightly less ridiculous. ridiculous. Susie, about the Ministry of Health. So there's a media release from the New Zealand Ministry of Health website um, just from a few days ago. Ministry of Health welcomes conviction of unregistered chiropractor. Yay! I didn't see this reported anywhere else. Anywhere I have else, not seen this. The Nelson District Court has convicted... Can I say his name? I don't see why not if it's in the papers. James Dawson on charges of advertising and offering chiropractic services he was not authorised to administer and ordered him to pay $9,000. Say anything in that article about the 
New Zealand Chiropractic Association also welcoming the conviction by any chance? Well, no, because this is a media release. No, no, no. This is a media release by the New Zealand Ministry of Health. They, the chiropractors. I was looking at them the other day, and actually, they deserve a they deserve a post of all a podcast all of their own. I think we should we should look into them. The Ministry of Health or the chiropractors? <laughs> the chiropractors. Um, the Ministry of Health laid fourteen charges against Mr. Dawson. Uh, Twelve of these related to advertising and offering chiropractic services, while two were for carrying out activities restricted to registered chiropractors. Damn it! You better be licensed for your bullshit. He trained as a chiropractor in the U.S. and has unsuccessfully tried to register as a chiropractor in New Zealand since coming here in 1995. So I wonder why he's been um, denied. He has had previous convictions, similar convictions, in 1999 and 2008. What? So um, this is not the first time. Uh, despite repeated warnings, he continued to advertise and offer services. Um, he was well aware that his activities breached the act, but carried on anyway. Wow. If that's his only way of earning an income, then what's he going to do? Um, at the sentencing on Thursday, ju- uh, Judge, who name I can't pronounce, um, observed that Mr. Dawson appeared to lack any remorse or insight into the offending and consider it likely he would commit the fa- same offence again. What? So, um, what's the act you were, meant, you were talking about? Sorry, the um, Health, Health Practitioners Competence Assurance Act of 2003. Well, I can see one problem to start with right off the top. Assurance. No, I think <laughs> Health Practitioners, actually, because they're neither. Well, I suppose they practice. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Is it time to integrate medical and natural healthcare? Now, this follows oh, on from an no. email. Do you want to read it? I'll read the email. Gasmans. Fellow skeptics, I have a suggestion for your investigation. I was raised to boiling point by an article published in the New Zealand journal, Kai Tiaki, Nursing New Zealand, February article 2011, which was brought to my attention by a nursing colleague, whom I suspect fully realised the effect said article would have. The article in question is the centrefold article entitled, Is it time to integrate medical and natural health care? Short article? Uh, well, succinctly the answer no springs to mind. However... The article is by Richard Harmon. His bio is a retired mechanical engineer and university lecturer from Christchurch. He has pursued interests in natural health care since 1986 and was certified as a healing touch practitioner in 2001. Contact through his website, tum-de-tum. The problem I have is that publishing such magical thinking in a journal that purports to be science-based lends undue credence to such thinking in the minds of the lay people. And he congratulates us on our podcast, and he has a whinge about the audio quality, which I think I've already mentioned. So Susie has had a look at this article. I have. Um, I was very fortunate that um, before um, contacting uh, before contacting Richard to ask him for the article, I had a look for it, and actually the guy puts it on his website. Isn't that... Oh, I thought Richard was the... There's the, two Richards. The so guy. the man... So so gas man is Richard. Doctor Richard and... And... What, what can we call... Retired Richard. Richard and Mr. Richard. So the article, as he says, in this, um, in this nursing journal... So the first thing I have to say about the nursing journal is that it's not... It's um, done by... Hang on a second while I find it. Um, it is the New Zealand... Nurses Organisations Monthly Magazine. They actually have two magazines. So they do have a scientific journal, and then which is peer-reviewed, and then they have this. So this is not their science magazine. 
but this has been in print since 1908 um, and is posted directly to over 42,000 members. That's Ouch. scary. Okay. Um, it covers professional and industrial issues facing nurses and other healthcare workers, records major initiatives, profiles different practice areas, um, and is basically supposed to be a forum for discussion. Anyway, okay, so this guy, this engineer turned healing touch practitioner has written uh, an, a quite a long, turgid article, which is in response to another article um, that basically the number of unhealthy people is increasing and um, we kind of can't keep throwing money at this. We're sort of at a crossroads and perhaps we should be taking advantage of complementary treatment. And so what he is saying is, I believe that um, our healthcare services would benefit if practitioners of natural healthcare who could be regarded as healing specialists were better integrated into mainstream health services. That would be great for reducing costs if they were free. But you have to pay for the rubbish. Anyway, he so he talks a bit about um, the different kinds of treatments. Um, he talks a little bit about placebo. He then starts going on and on about consciousness and energetic activities and it's all a load of nonsense. So nothing new then? No, nothing new, nothing new. What is very interesting, he, he also talks about, so specifically um, homeopathy, he discusses the dilution process and succussion um, and potens, uh, being potentiated by da-da-da-da-da. Um, he also talks about, so here's the thing, healers are people from all walks of life, including nurses, who have trained outside the medical system in alternative understandings of healthcare. So he makes that quite an important thing. He's written his own book, which describes over 30 healings involving various disciplines, but with, by which he means spiritual healing, healing touch, da-da-da-da, Reiki, um, da-da-da-da-da, and he suggests that this could be used as evidence, basically. Um so he says that all these healing results are challenged by the medical profession as unproven. And they are anecdotal. But it's basically because um, they're inappropriate for doing medical trials because of their subtle energetic nature. And so what he is saying is that he believes these things should be integrated uh, into, into mainstream medicine. And they should, um, then to accelerate this process, there should be, you should be able to delete the requirement for clinical trials. Because, because it, they... Um, because they don't work on this level that clinical trials can detect. So, because they don't work, we don't need to test them. No, 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 because the trials can't detect, because they work on a different level. And this is the annoying thing, you know, a trial is nothing, it's nothing spectacular. It's a way of finding out, does something work? So if your treatment works, then your people will get better. And to a certain and degree, how much it works as well. Yeah, and obviously you have to try them against no treatment at all. Right, so that's what a clinical trial does. It doesn't do anything special, it's just evidence-based medicine. And if your treatment is doing something, you should see it. So whether it's doing something on a, on a biological level, whether it's doing something on a spiritual level, you will still see it happening if you test it. If it, if it is effective, you will see it working, yes. Just because you test it with science doesn't mean, or a method, scientific method, you put, it's the fact that you're testing it. Um, but the point is, they don't work. Science doesn't only test science. No, it tests, it tests everything. No, it tests anything. It's the point. It, it's just a method.
by which you can test something. I'm sorry, I'm getting really excited and I can tell I'm getting kind of noisy. Yeah. Anyway, that's a really annoying thing that basically this kind of, oh, it works on a different level, so science can't test it. No, science can test anything that works if it's going to work. Indeed. And they don't work. Hence, they don't work. <laughs> so removing the requirement for clinical trials is just nonsense, frankly. Um, yeah. So I contacted um, the Nursing New Zealand Journal, or there's this Kaitiaki. I contacted them saying um, I was quite disturbed that this article had gone out to 42,000 people. And so she said we'd be very happy to publish a response. And I've got, um, in fact, they've already had one this month from a nurse expressing some gratitude for the article. She says a letter from someone with an opposing point of view would be welcome, though it will not be published until April. That's fine. NZNO does not have an official stance on the issue of natural health care. Kaitiaki publishes a range of viewpoints from nurses and people involved in healthcare. We welcome debate on these issues. Shouldn't they have an official stance? Isn't that something that you would expect? No, but someone else does. Um, so I have contacted the medical council as well, and they say it's say that it's not their job because they're actually ins- their job is to ensure doctors are fit for practice. But they suggested I get in touch with the um, New Zealand Medical Association, who are basically the association for medics. And, yeah, so I contacted them, and they said, thank you very much for bringing this to our attention. We are going to write a response as well. Oh, marvellous. Wow. Because essentially the New Zealand Nurses Organisation really is just a union. A union of nurses. Yeah. And so... They just, but you did say they publish a, a scientific journal. They do as well. publish scientific, but, but they so will be peer reviewed. This isn't yeah. peer reviewed. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is just, yeah. this is just. The there. Social so that's a little bit more than a union, is what I'm saying. If they're also yeah. publishing a journal. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so we are, so we have, mo- we've mobilised some troops, and there will be some things in future articles where we will be saying, no. So is, is it possible for the? Um, skeptic to be able to read this online and yes because i say he very helpfully put it on his website so we will put a link to it um but i guess go through our yep just check out the um info page on our website or um possibly if you download it you'll also get some of that as well uh in the information panel can i just say one very last thing no he um he did say that he had tried to publish this somewhere else. So he's, he's, he's written quite a few blogs. And anyway, he says, he wrote a draft article that was rejected by a medical publisher. Um, later, he realised it was the fact that he was really bad at writing. Anyway, he, he then did the self-editing thing where he basically had the article next to his bed. And whenever he realised he was awake, at any point of time, he would read it and self-edit it. And he says, this process was performed well over a hundred times, a clear sign of lack of genius, but it led to the article in its published form in Kaitiaki. It's like, yeah, that's because they'll publish anything, clearly. (laughs) As they've pretty much said. Yeah, over a hundred times. He thinks because someone did publish it, he got it right. Yeah, that's the worry. Well, he got the wording right anyway. It's obviously of a high enough quality to be published in a newsletter. Yes. I love the bit about whenever he realised he was awake. (laughs) (laughs) which leads me on to and thank you to Mark Hughes for sending us that intro Susie something sort of leads on a bit does it Yes, it does lead on, because John Appleton, my favourite person, his health column in the Ponsonby News um, this month um, is basically the same as um, Bullshit Richard. Has he copied the article, or is it just no, his no, own no, article? No, 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 no. It's just on the same, same on the same vein that um, 
if we are to have any chance of avoiding the high costs of secondary care involving hospitalization and surgical procedures, it's essential that we embrace nutritional solutions for chronic illnesses. That's basically the same thing. He's specifically talking about vitamins. He's ah. not he's not yeah. talking about complementary medicine. He's he's saying we need to take a more holistic approach to our health and kind of bring that into our health system, but he's more specifically talking about um, vitamins. And he talks about the guy, the farmer who survived swine flu because his family gave him. He doesn't by any chance offer us a way that we can buy oh, it. It's funny you should mention that because he does seem to sell vitamins oh, on his website. Yeah. It sounds like he's talking about preventative measures to keep yourself healthy and oh vitamins are the way to do this yeah which of course we know that actually they aren't and if you're healthy they can be more dangerous than not especially high doses of vitamins high doses is bad so if you take your normal vitamins that's fine but you're just pissing away money effectively Anyway, so we're not, we're going to say no more about him, other than he's on he's just doing the his usual thing, selling his vitamins. But there's one there was one thing that I hadn't seen before um, in the Ponsonby News, and this is the an advert for the Foundation of Spiritualist Mediums, New Zealand Incorporated. There's a foundation. Who, there is. Um, awesome. They were started in 1997 with ten members. They're um, the foundation is basically set up to promote greater understanding of spirit communication. <laughs> Do they have any representatives on the other side? <laughs> <laughs> but they meet in the library in Ponsonby, in the, in the Lays Institute, and they meet something like, I don't know, every week or something. Um, they run various courses. Uh, so there's an advert I wonder how for the them. library feels about them inviting oh. spirits in. So long as they don't leave any behind, perfectly fine. <laughs> So yeah, they or maybe it's just monthly. But anyway, no, they yeah. So so they have a talk. So they basically have a talk. Come so that so the one on the nineteenth of March is um, I see and hear spirit. If I tell you, don't think I'm crazy. By somebody, and then so that's from two till two thirty, and then at two thirty till four uh, two thirty till four fifteen, it's mediums brings messages from the spirit world. And then from 4.15, you can have some healing freely available. Ooh, free healing. $15 to so come in. Free. $15. Um, yeah, so I hadn't, I hadn't realized this. Gosh. So so we've got these guys. So it's and, a regular and, thing. Yeah, okay. a regular thing in the library in Ponsonby. Oh, adorable. And do they encourage skeptics to come along? <laughs> uh, I don't know if they'd be terribly happy about that, because, of course, if any skeptics show up, then all of oh, a sudden the... Oh, the spirits uh, disappear. Spirits disappear, and the it's healing... The negative energy away. of the so, skeptics. Negative skeptical energy. Um, so now we have an interview with Steve Valentine, and Steve Valentine is a um, British actor living in the States. You may have seen him on TV in an episode of House, and he played a magician. Uh, and he is actually a magician also in real life, and uh, he just happened to be in Auckland filming a movie, and he showed up for one of the uh, club's um, guest lecturers and I'm going to apologize for the quality of the audio because I literally just bailed him up at the end of the no no I didn't literally bail him up did I no so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I at least we hope not <laughs> so I literally cornered him at the end of the meeting and said hey um, how do you feel about skepticism and he basically just started and I recorded it and um, on my phone so the audio quality isn't phenomenal, 
but the interview itself is quite interesting, I think. So here's the interview with Steve Valentine in which Nathan gets schooled on the meaning of scepticism. Uh, and I'm here with Steve Valentine, famous magician and amazing actor. Thank you. How are you? You may recognise him from such shows as House and Crossing Jordan. Yes. Which I've never seen, but I'm going to go watch right now. You've heard of the sceptical movement. Absolutely. Would you say you identify as a sceptic yourself? Uh, if you define what a sceptic is. Okay, a sceptic is a person who has an opinion about paranormal and alternative medicine and pseudoscience and is generally opposed. I guess as, as well as... I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a sceptic. I think, okay. that's, I think to me, a sceptic is someone who doesn't believe what everyone says exists unless they see proof. That's okay. it. They yeah. just need to see proof. If you show me proof, I'll believe it. Someone who has an opinion that they already don't believe in the paranormal is closed. That's to me. That's more of a cynic. Okay. So, like for example, myself, I'm. I always think of myself as a true skeptic because if I meet someone who says they're psychic, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt until they start to do a cold reading or I see a thumbwriter, and then I'm yeah. like, okay, I get it. I see a guy stop me in the streets once, uh, and and start doing this whole routine, and he was doing one ahead, and he was, and at the end of it, he asked for a donation to his church. You know. It was, and, it was, and at the end of it, I was like, dude, I think what you did was was great. As a magician, I can, you know, but I said, you're not real. You know, yeah. So, you know, and maybe a true skeptic will consistently be disappointed by, you know, not finding anything real out there. But I feel that, um, you know, Joe Nickel, I was talking to Joe Nickel about it. And, and uh, you know, Joe has been investigating psychic phenomena, yep. apparent psychic phenomena, for about 50 years or so. And he's never found anything he can't explain. And I think that uh, there's a definitely something in that. But even Joe would say that every time he goes out on a job, he would love to find something really paranormal. And that's to me a true skeptic. I just think the people that go, oh no, everything everything exists without proof. You just have to believe. I, I think that's just walking in the clouds. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I'll take I'll take that point. You're quite right. That's a better definition of skepticism than what I had. And um, I agree with you. Do you think, though, at a certain point, you get to, like you talk about Joe Nickel, he's been doing it for 50 years. Yeah. At some point, you have to say, well, we've made a good effort. At the moment, it's fair to say that there are no people who are psychically reading people's minds, or that, that, as of what we know right now, it's impossible to talk to the dead. Well, I think, as of what we know right now, we don't have the techniques to talk to the dead if that is possible. Right. I think that, you know, that there's that great saying that any kind of, what, what is that saying? Sufficiently any advanced technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that and distinguishable from magic. Is it distinguishable from magic? I mean, the idea of a radio 200 years ago, the idea of this cell phone yeah. and voices coming out of my, my cell phone or being able to Skype with somebody on your computer was magic. It was yeah. impossible. But yeah. we found a way to transmit energy through invisible through the air invisibly yeah. without us actually hearing it but there is something that can pick it up yeah. and I think if that exists uh, maybe one day we'll find something which will kind of go back in between those two you know between those two places where maybe these two different parallel universes exist or whatever like it. you know there's a there's a the, the great thing with the that they're doing well I don't think it's great I'm terrified of it but the uh, the atom smashes yeah uh, you know the one in um, Large yeah, 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 the hydro colliders, which I've been doing a lot of research on because uh, we're facing a, a TV show kind of that's, that's the start of a TV show is when one of these things happens. Yeah, and um, you know they were talking about how you know 
they, they're hoping to prove that things can move between dimensions, right. you know, and the one thing that probably can is gravity, and if they can prove gravity moves, then they can, they can find a way to make it all work, but yeah. it's, you know, there's just so much we don't know, but I don't think we can ever rule it out, sure. that's all, I just right. think, I'm, I'm just kind of like, prove it, yeah. and uh, if you can't prove it, I'll be excited, if you can prove it, I'll be really excited, and if you can't prove it, then, sure. you know, you're a sham, and you should, if, if there's a place for psychic readings, if it's, may, if it's done... Um, I, I think it's very honestly, honestly, and I yeah. think if it's done in a positive way okay. to help people uh, with deaths in their family, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Okay. For me, the, the, the bad thing is psychically moving tables, the poltergeist moving the tables around. Indeed. But to me, the bad thing is when someone uses the apparent uh, psychic ability to rip someone off, to get sure. a lot of money out of them, to tell them now they have to do cleansings. So that's wrong. But the rest of it, I think, is, uh, you know... I think there's a place. It, yeah, I mean, it's not, not that much different to certain kinds of therapy. Really. Okay. Yeah. And just quickly before you go, um, yeah. you were talking before about a TV show you were trying to do. Skeptic. Yeah, yeah, I have a, I have a pilot I wrote for uh, about a skeptic. And, uh, you know, the toughest thing about doing a TV show about a skeptic is the, the public in general wants to believe. Yeah. So you, you can't have a lead of a show who's a killjoy. He has to really want to believe but he can be disappointed along the way. Because you would never have a TV show about a mentalist who becomes honest and starts solving crimes or anything like that. Yeah, that would never happen. <laughs> never happen. All right. Yeah, it's good. Hopefully we'll, we'll get it. That'd be great if you get it done. We'd, uh, we'd love to see it. Yeah, I'll let you Brilliant. know more. I think there is a market for that sort of thing now as well. I think there is. And, you know, it's basically what we're doing is uh, the Conan Doyle-Houdini story up to date. Right. Their relationship. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, in a modern-day kind of scenario, which is great because they were both skeptics. Well, he was a skeptic, and you know, Doyle was Doyle the leader. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yet they both still like to go and investigate. Yeah. And it's kind of balance idea. out the opinions. And I think yeah. that's a, it's a good thing. Kind of a cop show. Kind of a cop show. Thank you very much, Absolutely, Nathan. Pleasure. Great interview. Good to see you. Hi, this is George Robb from the Geologic Podcast. And as one who revels in things that are completely unnecessary, let me revel in saying you are listening to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. So now we are still encouraging everybody to go out and spread the word and try and encourage more people to download our podcast. I haven't had a chance to check our stats uh, recently, so whatever number I gave you last time is still um, the number we're assuming, and we're still trying to double that number. So whatever number I said we were trying to reach, we're still trying to reach it. Um, but of course, none of you actually need to know that. All you need to know is tell all your friends send the link out to as many people as possible if you get it on facebook um, share it if you get it in your email um, forward it uh, and you can always just send people to the website of course to um, listen to all the old episodes some of which are quite good if i do say so myself so craig you've got a quote for us oh yeah i do actually this is from th huxley science is organized common sense where many a beautiful theory was killed by an ugly fact <laughs> oh, that's lovely. <laughs> so, word of the day. I quite like narcomancy, divination by using sleep. Now, worth noting, well, <laughs> it doesn't say using dreams. It's narcomancy is divination using sleep. So, possibly watching other people sleep. <laughs> it's kind of creepy. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. So, you've been listening to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. If you'd like to send us some feedback, check out the Contact Us form on our website, thecusp.org.nz. 
<laughs> the article itself, and we may not need to go to Susie for this, the article itself can best be described as execrable... Ex fuck. <laughs> Someone... <laughs> oh, I've never seen that word before. Ex... It looks like ex, ex scrabble. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fancy word which means shit. 